Good morning to everybody. If you have a Bible, and I certainly hope that you do, uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 16. I even think we have a slide up there to keep up behind me, guys, that show us that scripture range that we will be in this morning. And my name is Pastor Ben, for those of you visiting, and if I didn't get a chance to chat with you, I would love an opportunity to do that. So after the service, I'll be in this big classroom right here. Both these doors go to the same classroom. And I would love to be able to chit-chat with you and say hello if this is your first time here or if you have anything else you want to talk about. I'd love to, love to talk with you. And I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to the book of Acts. We're definitely due to get back there to see it through its to completion like we planned all those, I guess, over a year ago, well over a year ago at this point. Uh, but we've taken this slight intermission, if you would, as I've gotten back from sabbatical uh, to do a mini-series that we have called Swing Doctrines. And the reason we've given it that title is simply because you think of a swing state during an election that could go one way or the other. Uh, I've been taking some time as I felt like God has led me to preach through some particular things that have the ability to send a church one way or the other, not necessarily politically, uh, but spiritually. And that's why we've taken this short time to preach for a couple weeks about some things uh, like the scriptures, understanding that it is the word of God, uh, like church being a place that it's a place where we're involved life-on-life discipleship, where we're actually growing together as a body of believers and not just becoming a dime-a-dozen place where you just go and sit and be entertained for a while. Uh, And today I'll be preaching this title that we simply gave it, this tagline of Act Like Men. So if you are in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, look to verse 13 where we read and it says, it says, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. If you believe this is the word of God, say amen. Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we do come before you now humbly to say, Jesus, that we need you as our provider. Will we come to you like a sheep comes to a shepherd? We come to you like a child goes to a father. We come to you like the needy that come to the one that can offer the provisions that we need. Uh, so Jesus, we, we, we love to gather together and open your word. And we seek and we pray earnestly. Lord, I pray that my words would be diminished and that your spirit would do the work that only it can do. Uh, the last thing that anyone here wants or needs are my own words, but will we all collectively hunger and thirst for is for the sustainment of your word to be infused into our lives and that's what we pray for now in Jesus name and all the church says together amen so it was understood among the militia during the revolutionary war uh, there was a particular idea rather that the Americans were not going to be able to beat the British army in a full-on frontal assault on a battlefield. Uh, This idea was strongly suggested by George Washington. Uh, They knew that they were outnumbered by the British. They knew that their weapon systems were not as developed as the British. They knew that in a full-on assault on a battlefield that the British were going to win. Uh, But they did have one advantage, the militia did, and that was that their marksmanship was far greater than that of the British Army. And the reason for that is very simple. 
these Americans had, it was a way that they provided the food that their family needed was a form of by hunting. And, uh, and that was, it was known in those days that the marksmanship was just incredible. Uh, it was even said that up close to 50, even 100 yards, that someone who was well-versed in, in providing food and nourishment for his family uh, could take the head off a squirrel at those distances, which that's even impressive even in today's standards. Uh, and George Washington knew that this could be used as an advantage in this Revolutionary War. And that's what they did. They actually would make it such that they would have ambushes that would pick off the leadership of the British Army forces. And this was maybe seen as not the greatest of army tactics, but it worked. And the, British, the leadership of the British Army basically come to the same understanding. They knew that they could beat the Americans in an all-out war frontal attack, but the Americans were never going to come out and fight as such. And it was basically death by a thousand cuts that brought it about that the Americans ultimately won. And perhaps you would agree with this, perhaps you wouldn't, but I'm of the opinion that the very reality of us being able to worship freely like we are with our First Amendment right that uh, was a result, at least in part, because of them utilizing that tactic of war. Now, I believe that although we could argue that it was done in a positive way back during the Revolutionary War, exercised by the militia, by the Americans, uh, that that tactic of war is also used in a non-positive way by the devil. And it is an attack against God that has predominantly manifested itself against an attack against God's design for gender as God has designed it, and particularly, which is what I'll be speaking predominantly to this morning, an attack against men, an attack against God ultimately, that has manifested itself in an attack against God's designed leadership of families and churches, which is indeed men. Uh, you've heard me say before that Disney has had a very prevalent and very prominent plan to make it such that all their forms of inter entertainment uh, represents 50% of their cast, be it in cartoons or what have you, uh, representing that of LGBTQ folks uh, seeking to pervert the minds of children and destroy what the sense of normal is. And I'm not mad at anybody. I just want to call it as the Bible says, and it's perversion. And they need to repent of sin and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And they need to pick up their cross, which involves abandoning perversion and trusting Jesus to forgive them and he most certainly will. It was on March 31st of this year that the Biden administration endorsed gender reassignment surgery and hormone blockers for children, uh, not for adults, although they would endorse it for them as well, but particularly ensuring that the Biden administration would endorse it for children. Uh, this is shameful. This is more shameful than anything. And again, this is ultimately at its most core an attack against God. But it has manifested itself in an attack against the good things that God has designed. Like the things of sexuality as we know it as believers, as God's word has given it to us. But again, particularly, we'll be looking at how that attack has been against men particularly. If I were to ask you what the number one most celebrated holiday is, you would be right if you said Christmas. If I were to ask you what the number two most celebrated holiday in America is, you would be right if you were to say Mother's Day. If I were to ask you what the 20th most celebrated holiday in America is, you would be right if you said Father's Day. And just as a reference, Halloween comes in at number six, and Arbor Day comes in at 13. 
And Abby and I have this disagreement about Arbor's Day. She says that's when you're supposed to plant a tree. I say that's when you cut the tree down. But that's, <laughs> we disagree on that apparently. Uh, but perhaps the most alarming of all these things is that these ideas, this tactic of the devil to reach out at long range, have an attack against God, but ultimately seek to snuff out who God has called the leaders to be of families and churches and communities, which is indeed men. Those ideas have definitely infiltrated the church to a degree. Uh, of most congregations in America, 60 to 80% of the congregation members are made up of women. And I'm very thankful that in this church body that it is very accurately represented of men and women. Very incredibly thankful for that. Uh, during my time on sabbatical as I visited different churches, even in churches that represented a similar demographic to what we have here at New Covenant Community Church, it was the women that were willing to pitch in first. It was the women that were willing to open their mouths and sing and worship God and to do areas of service and all these kinds of things. We, we see these things infiltrating even the church. Uh, and I even know that uh, even from my time here at New Covenant Community Church, the fastest way to get visitors not to come back is to preach about God's design for men and women. So if you're visiting, I hope you make it. <laughs> I love you, but I love you enough to teach and to preach to you the truth of what God's Word says. And undoubtedly, this is by far, not even a close second, by far, if I want to scare visitors away, it's to preach God's design, the Word of God, and its design for the roles of men and women. Now, a couple things that I think would be helpful to mention as we, as we come to this text, as we come to 1 Corinthians 16, which we've already read. Uh, one understanding that I think would be helpful would be to say that I believe, as best I can tell, that the verses particularly that we read are speaking specifically to men. And the reason I think that, and I recognize that I could be wrong, but the reason I see that to be so is because this phrase of act like men, be strong, that we already read, and the original Greek was the word androsomai. And that word literally means to be brave or to be manly, to act like a man. In ancient days, to be a man was to be brave. And to be brave was to be a man. And those things are not so closely connected anymore. And this is why our Bibles, some of the translations that you have, some it may say act like men, and some translations it may say be brave. But literally, it's, that's, that's the literal understanding of what that original word means. Now, I could be right in that, and if that's the case, then all of us men better really listen up, because this is instruction from the Word of God for us men. If I'm wrong in that, it's speaking to all of us. And even still, us men ought to listen up so it doesn't really matter on that particularly whether or not I'm right. This is the Word of God that we will be preaching. Another thing that I think would be helpful to all of us as we open up this text is to understand that when I'm preaching this act like men, I'm not referencing stereotypical interest-driven tendencies. For example... I like hunting. I enjoy devices that have a little lever on them that when you pull them and squeeze them, they go boom, okay? I enjoy those kinds of things, but although those things are stereotypically assigned to manhood, those interests of mine and those interests of some of you make you no more manly than a brother in Christ who enjoys cooking or even sewing, perhaps, uh, we're talking about not stereotypical things, but biblically. 
the things that define a man and call us men out into leadership. So that's an important note as we go through this. Uh, So look back to your Bibles, if you would, 1 Corinthians 16, back to verse 13. And we're going to take this piece by piece to see what it is that God would have us for the goal, I would say, my aim, I would feel that my assignment from the Lord this morning is to see, at least in part, what is it that God has called us men to do, and then to awaken in us the true reality of the importance of our role and the impact that us men have of a, of a believer, of a, of a man who has repented of his sin, who has humbled himself before Almighty God, and has said, Jesus, I am sorry, and I trust you to forgive me of all my sin, and I'm trusting you with my life. I'm following you for a Christian man who has received the free gift of grace that Jesus offers for all sinners. Uh, what is that man to do? How is that man to live? And perhaps we'll have a clearer picture of that as we go through this this morning. Look back to verse 13 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16. Those first words there says, be watchful. Say them with me. Ready, set, go. Be watchful. Thank you, Grace. You did that better than anybody here. Good job. You're, I'm so proud of you. That was good. Uh, we are to be watchful. This speaks, this understanding of be watchful, it speaks of awareness. Uh, now, this awareness, this be watchful, It's literally using a military term. Uh, You think back in ancient times when they would have walls around cities, and the way in which they would build them was pretty logical, honestly. They would have the outer wall that would be built very tall, however tall it was determined that this wall would be. And then inside from there, about eight, six to eight feet, they would build another wall. And that wall would not come up quite as high. And the way that they would construct these two walls and make them incredibly strong is that in between that six to eight foot gap, they would fill with what you and I would call fill dirt. They'd fill it with sand and clay and rock. And you can imagine that it wasn't just a tall wall, but it had depth to it, made the wall incredibly strong. And the reason that the outside wall would be taller than the inner one is because once they would fill up that gap to the top, there would be a ledge. And that's what the watchman would stand on. There'd be a very well-worn pathway where they'd walk back and forth and the watchman could look out and see across the horizon to see where the enemy might be coming from. This is what it's describing for us in this Word of God of a military understanding. And boy, was this a serious role. Uh, The watchman in those days could not just end his shift and then just go to bed. He would stand there scanning the horizon. And when the next watchman was on duty, they would come up. There'd usually be three to four of them as they would rotate while some of them slept and one of them would be watching or however many were on this wall. The watchman would be watching his portion of the wall that he was responsible for. And he could not leave until his replacement came up and they would say, I've got eyes out. Meaning the next person would come up and they're saying, I've got it covered now. My eyes are on the horizon. Then the person would go climb down off the wall and then not, they couldn't even leave then. They had then to stand there and ensure that the person was up there doing their job. They would verbally communicate one more time to make sure everything was set. And then the person could go and rest. This was the job of a watchman. And man, I'm convinced that this is what you and I are called to do as Christian men. We are called to be watchmen over our marriages We're called to be watchmen over our kids and the influences that are going into their lives. We are all called to be watchmen over the temptation that the devil would try and tempt us with. Uh, You single folks or empty nesters, and we've got tons of both of those crowds in this church, uh, you need to be watchful over 
the temptations that might come your way that are different than you may have built in your family unit underneath the roof of your house, you may have less accountability built in, which obviously the family of God provides that when we gather together, but it's important that you be watchful. I know even for me, my accountability has gone up with the more children that I have. Uh, and, and this comes plain to me when I sit down in my house and try to eat a snack. And, uh, and my kids keep me accountable to not eat too much snack food when out of thin air, two little birds named Daisy and Gabriel just appear before me with open mouths. And, and I don't even get to have the snack because they're eating it faster than I can even get to it. And, and they keep me accountable in this kind of way. And, and we are to be watchmen, uh, watching over our families watching over, listen to me now, if you're a parent or grandparent, be watchful over the screens that are in your home. Be so incredibly watchful. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of the social media platform that is called TikTok, incredibly popular, especially among teenagers and young people. Uh, it, It would be helpful for you to know Uh, Just as an example, so that you see this understanding of how watchful we need to be over this. Uh, TikTok is a a social media platform that was created in China. And they determine the algorithms that each country experiences, basically meaning they get get to determine what kind of content the young people in each country get to see. And wouldn't you know it that in China, the algorithm that they use displays young people being creative. It displays young people being obedient to parents. It displays young people with creative ideas and being rewarded heavily for doing a good job at things. The algorithm that's used in America that they have so decided they've deemed fit for America is to show young people doing stupid things and being disobedient to parents and playing pranks and doing foolish things and things that do not promote any kind of goodness or maturity. Isn't that interesting? Guys, we need to be on the wall. We need to be on watch. We need to be watchful. If you understand what I'm preaching to you, say amen. We need to be incredibly watchful over what our kids are learning. Uh, And this has been on my heart to say for some time now. Uh, We have teachers, people who are career professional teachers in this church. and, And you know my incredible love for you. And, uh, and I, I really imagine that, at least in part, why America has grown to such a great prosperity. As you think back in the olden days when it was a single classroom, and the kids were there to learn from the teacher, and I have to imagine that they were teachers like the teachers in New Covenant Community Church that, that, that taught what was right and knew what was right and what was wrong and knew how to teach children how to read and write and do math and, and instill in them good character. Not, it wasn't just a job, it was a calling. And I'm just so, th- it would be an honor for any Christian parent to have the teachers of New Covenant Community Church for them to instill something in the kids in this place. But, but as is the same in my profession, that this organization called the church, and in a much similar way, the organization that we would understand of the school in America, has changed and changed drastically in our nation. And parents, Christian parents, it is your job to ensure that your children are being taught truth. And if they're not being taught truth and the stink that you raise about it doesn't change anything about it, get them out. In so many circumstances, and and yes, there are circumstances where in rural communities, which I would still consider us to be, that there is still an understanding that kids are to be taught what is right and good and wholesome, but that can change overnight. 
And it can happen so fast that kids are being taught things that are not just false. They are in absolute opposition to what is right. And it is the job of the parent to understand exactly what it is that their kids are being taught. And dads, we ought to be leading the charge in this. If you're a single parent, if you're a single mother, God will equip you in all the ways that you need to be equipped to fill that gap, and God will be your sustainer. But as men, as Christian men, that we are called to be watchmen and to be watchful over these things, it ought to be us leading the charge and understanding what is on our children's screens. It ought to be us leading the charge and understanding what it is that our kids are being taught in any environment. That's our job. If you're still with me, say amen. Visitors, if you're scared to death, and I guess we should just excuse you now, but I love you enough. If you'd love to stay, we'd love to keep you. Uh, we are to be watchful. Look back to the scriptures. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Say it with me. Stand firm in the faith. Uh, this standing firm, it speaks of action. Back in the ancient days, then when battle would take place, uh, you think of even perhaps some of the movies you've seen where it depicts uh, men standing by, side by side with their shields linked together, and whether it was spears or some kind of short sword that they would have in their hand, and, and they would stand there, and as the enemy would come, they would, they would brace together, and it was much expenditure of energy that was required to stand firm. And notice also that the risk of the watchman was only so much of a risk. You were typically the first one shot at, but you were typically protected because you were on the wall and there was the wall, and it was just your little head peeking up to scan the horizon. But the risk of danger, uh, the, the certainty of having to expend much more energy, and there being a much higher risk of standing firm, it became much higher when you went from being a watchman to then standing firm. You and I are to be immovable in this faith. We are to be immovable for what we know is true. Our convictions should not be for sale. If there is any area of our life that needs to decrease so that what is right may increase, then let that be the case. For the sake of our kids and our grandkids, we ought to stand firm on what we know to be true. I, I'm very careful about the stories that I share of even things that I've done spiritually or in ministry because I do not at all want anybody to think that I'm some kind of super spiritual person. I'm not. I'm just a man. I'm just a human like all of you that needs the grace of Jesus and would be utterly lost without him. And, uh, but there was a situation in which I'm very thankful for God's leading me uh, when Abby and I were first married. And I'll spare you from all the details, but to make the story very, very short... Uh, there was a, a couple, some friends of ours, uh, that were wanting us to engage in a certain type of activity. And I'm going to spare you of all the details, but let's just say this certain activity would be very much approved by probably most Christians, I would imagine. Probably no big deal at all. Uh, but I understood at least to some degree, to some small degree, that I was to be the watchman over my marriage. And I said, absolutely not. We're not, we're not engaging in that. We are not doing that. Uh, now, the, the risk as a watchman is only so much, but when you stand firm, you may lose some friends, which we stood to lose, and we're willing and ready to lose for what we believe was right. Uh, when you stand firm, the risk becomes greater. Dads, when you stand firm, it, it, may, 
it may cause you for your teenager, for your young child to, to think that you're just the world's biggest ogre because you won't let them watch this or you place restrictions in your home for certain things. It's not your job to be their buddy. It's your job to be their dad. It's your job to be their leader. It's your job to be watchful. It's your job to stand firm. Kids don't even understand what this is. This is for the parents. This is for the fathers. This is for the leaders of homes to stand up and take their rightful place of being on the wall, be the watchman, and stand firm. Uh, we've had to stand firm as a church together in some things. And some of you know some things that I even pastorally have had to stand firm on and against of this church, as this church has grown, as this community has grown, and there's things that we've just said, no, we're not going there. We're not going to preach things that are very much erring on the side of false gospel. We're, we're not going woke. We're not going cultural in this. We are Christians, and we're going to stand firm. And being the watchman only has so much risk. But when you're willing to stand firm, be, be ready to take the brunt. Be ready to take that clash and that collision against the enemy because make no mistake, this is a spiritual war. If you're still hearing what I'm preaching, say amen. 1 Corinthians 16, look again back to our verse. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Say it, act like men, be strong. This acting like men, it speaks of masculinity. And again, just to reiterate what I said, I'm not speaking of interest-based tendencies. I'm not speaking about whether you like hunting or sewing or cooking or not cooking or whatever it might be, whether you like driving the car or the truck, whatever. I'm talking about scripturally. What does it mean, at least in part, for us to bear our responsibility properly as Christian men and to awaken in us just how important our role is. What does it mean to be a man, to act like a man? Uh, here's a couple simple things I'll give us. It means don't act like a woman. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, it says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, to be a man, to act like a man, is not to act like a woman. They are the weaker vessel. Uh, people that are not submissive to the Word of God hate hearing that. Ladies that are not submissive to the Word of God hate hearing that. And hear me and hear me clearly. It is so clear that spiritually we are on equal standing. Men and women are on equal standing before God, but very, very different in their roles. And very, very different in how God has designed us. I gave Abby a hug, I mean, I hug her more than just a, once every couple weeks, but I had the thought when I gave her a hug a couple weeks ago, it's like, man, like, my, my and if you, you may not know exactly what I'm talking about, but if you grew up near a farm, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, man, my, her rib cage is like chicken wire and mine's like a cattle panel. Like, we're just, our bodies are different. Our skeletal structures are different. To act like a man is not to act like a woman. Uh, to act like a man is not to act like an animal. Uh, Psalm 73 and verse 22, as the psalmist is recounting a time in which they longed after sinfulness, they said, he says, I, I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you, before God. To act like a man is not to act like an animal. 
Uh, it's been said before, what's the difference between the average male college student and a dog is that the male college student has more STDs than the dog. Uh, you and I are not like that, men. We are men. We are not animals. And, and it would be a beast-like thing to desire sin, to desire things that are wrong against God is to become animal-like. We are men. To act like a man is not to act like a woman. To be a man is to not act like an animal. And just so we're all perfectly clear, it's not like I'm comparing women and animals as being in the same category. I hope everyone understands that. Uh, and just for your information... Those like Aristotle, uh, you think of Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, you think of those characters who our atheistic bent friends will commonly quote the great wisdom of. Just so we're all clear, Aristotle did see women and animals as being in the same category and quoted numerous times saying that they were nothing more than property to be owned by men. How's that for ungodly wisdom for us? Those guys had some great ideas, but boy, they were sure off, at way off from the Word of God in many areas. To act like a man is not to act like a woman. It's not to act like an animal, and it's not to act like a child. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, and I understand there to be a deeper spiritual understanding to this verse, uh, but there's very, at the surface level, something for us to understand when Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Uh, men, we are to be men, which is not to act like a woman, an animal, or a child. Uh, for those of you that are married, your wife is not your mother. And nobody look at Abby because she's probably like, preach it, preach it to him. Uh, we are men. We are to take care of business. We, we are not the weaker vessel. It is us that God has designed in his sovereignty to have a harder outer shell, even physically in our skeletal system, in our muscular system, but even down to our emotions. And yes, even spiritually. Again, this has nothing to do with level of importance, simply of difference of role. And boy, isn't that role just so important. And we're in a world today that does not see it as important. You know, it's a real shame as I considered all these things. I believe it's the case that for many boys growing up today, uh, they don't think it's cool to be a man anymore. I remember being a boy and I remember aspiring to think like, oh man, when, you know, dad's out driving the tractor. I mean, there was a, there was a, a mystery of wonderfulness of a boy's heart that aspired to manhood. And it was awesome. It, it, it's what drew boys to be men. And so many boys today aren't even growing up thinking that it's cool today because they've been taught. There's been this phrase that's been floating around in our culture called toxic masculinity. There's this thing that God has designed for men to be masculine and it's now toxic and that's what little boys grow up hearing, that masculinity is toxic. And let's just be real super clear and plain today. There's nothing toxic about masculinity. There is a sinfulness. There is a toxicity in sinfulness that impacts everyone, which is why everyone needs to be born again. And whosoever will, let them come and find grace and mercy at the cross. That impacts men and women. 
But all of a sudden, our culture that can't even figure out from the right hand to the left or what a male or female even is, they just tie this good thing of masculinity in the same way that femininity is something that God designed and is equally as good in its roles that God has called them to. Our culture's just tagged on the word toxic with the word masculinity. And we see this craziness all around us. And I just wonder, man, let's separate those two out. And what part of masculinity does our culture hate? Most buildings are built overwhelmingly by men. Well north of 95% of homemakers are of building construction. Men are the ones doing that. Do they hate buildings? What about bridges? Overwhelmingly, the people that are working on building bridges are men. Do they hate the bridges? What about the roofs on our homes and it's above our head right now? Overwhelmingly, even north of 99% of roofers are men. Do they hate the roof? Praise God for masculinity. Praise God for femininity. Praise God for God's design. That's worth giving God a hand clap over. Praise God for his good and wonderful design. Dads, we play an incredibly important role. And let the young boys in this church aspire to manhood. Let them see it as we grew up seeing it as awesome and good and not toxic. Masculinity is good. It's what builds things literally. Uh, perhaps you've already known this, but there are certain indicators that determine how big a prison needs to be. And as a matter of fact, in most communities where prisons are built, you imagine, okay, how do they decide how big of a prison to build? And there are some indicators that they can see in a culture to determine how big the prison actually has to be. Uh, one category, one uh, metric that they look at is how well children are able to read by the level of third grade. Based on how well children are able to read by third grade will, will, will make largely how much how many prison cells that they need. Another factor that they look at is how well, if the parents are both present predominantly, but, but also if both parents finished high school. Per capita of the population, how many parents have finished high school, that will determine also. But you know the number one biggest thing that is connected, the thing that is there's the greatest correlation between how big the prison needs to be is fatherlessness. Fatherlessness in the home is the number one by far in a category all of its own. The biggest indicator of how many prison cells you need to build is how many families are there with no fatherly presence in the home whatsoever. The statistics on this are overwhelming. If a child begins to go to church, it's about 4% of the time that the rest of the family will follow suit. If the woman in a family goes to ch begins going to church, it's about 17% of the time that the rest of the family will follow suit. If a man begins to go to church, it's about 94% of the time that the rest of his family will follow suit. This is God's design for men to lead and to be leaders. And even nature testifies of this truth. You perhaps have heard me say it before. True story, there was a time in which this town in Africa began to be ravaged by young male elephants beginning to behave in bizarre and awkward ways and to terrorize the people and they were killing people these young male elephants 
that were just acting completely outside of what was normal for an adolescent male elephant, and they were terrorizing people, even killing some of them. So they bring in some very experienced zoologists that surveyed the situation. And once they surveyed and saw what was going on and heard the testimony of the townspeople, they knew exactly what they needed to do. What they did was they brought in some mature bull elephants, well advanced in years, Perhaps in that area, the, bull, the male, the adult, the mature bull elephants had been killed in poaching or whatever the situation might have been. But they realized that that demographic had been missing. And it was causing these young bull elephants to not know how to behave anymore. And wouldn't you know it, they bring in these mature bull elephants. And they start doing all the things that you see elephants doing of trumpeting their trunk and fanning their ears. And, and all of a sudden, almost immediately... These young bull elephants, the young male elephants, go calm again. And the behavior becomes right. Because they have a proper example of how to act as a male elephant. Guys, we ought to be watchful. We ought to stand firm in the faith. And we ought to act like men. Somebody say amen. Look back to our scripture. Where we read and it says, it says, Let all that you do, and this is our final point this morning as I get ready to close, Let all that you do be done in love. Guys, everything that we do ought to be done in love, both in tenderness and in our fierceness. This letting all that we do be done in love, it speaks of motivation. Whereas standing firm speaks of action and being watchful, speaks of something different. This letting all that we do be done in love, it speaks of our motivation at the most core. When I'm holding my little Ivy and I'm just loving on her, kissing those fat little chubby cheeks of hers, it ought to be love that motivates me to tenderness. If someone tries to break into my home with the absolute intention of harming my family, it ought to be love that motivates me to end their life swiftly. We ought to be watchmen, we ought to stand firm, we ought to act like men, and we ought to let all that we do be done in love. I'm going to invite you all to actually not stand. Actually, for those of you that are helping lead us in worship, if you would come to prepare and just go and begin to minister to the Lord with music, I want to close out with one more example and one more scripture, and then we'll be finished for today. A story I've heard that perhaps I've also shared with some of you. There was a professional climber with a few of his friends, I believe it was four friends, that was climbing up this mountain. Very dangerous. They were were tied to one another as they traversed up this mountainside. There's about 35 feet of rope between each of them. And the leader was the experienced one, and they made it to the top safely. They get all the way to the top, they have their celebration, and then they begin the descent back down to the bottom of this mountain. And the way it worked was that the less experienced climbers were below him and the expert climber was on the top as they began to go down. The expert climber lost his focus. He began to just enjoy the ride too much and forgot his responsibility as the expert climber. And he falls. And because he's tied to the other climbers, they fall too. And that's tragic enough, it's even perhaps more tragic that there was a set of other climbers below them that they didn't even know were there, three of them. 
And as this expert climber, because of his, because of a loss of adherence to what he was called to do, he's now dragging these other people down with them to their death, and these people that were even below them get caught up and tangled, and they perish also. Men of this church, who's tied to your rope? Because when I look at my rope, I've got Abby, I've got Daisy, I've got Gabriel, and I've got Ivy, and probably lots more people that I don't even know are coming up behind me that are watching. What could happen if I lose my focus? What could happen if I'm not a watchman? What could happen if I don't stand firm and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care who likes me inside or outside this family. Our devotions as a household are for God and God alone. And I'm not giving up my children this godless culture saying shameful things, absolutely embarrassing things, even shameful things to think about that now our presidency promotes openly. I will not give my children up to that. Because I am a watchman and I stand firm. I'm going to act like a man which is to be brave. And all that I do is going to be done in love. Guys, who's connected to your rope? Let us not lose focus in this. And if you're like me, there are days of great, great discouragement where you think, man, just how? How do we do this in such a godless culture? How do we do this? Where do our children find friends? How does this happen for us as godly parents? I want to draw your attention to where we might turn our eyes upon. Who just by the way encompasses being watchful, standing firm, acting like a man, and letting all that he did being done in love, he did all those things perfectly. Say the word perfectly with me. Perfectly. He was tempted in all ways that we were, and yet without sin, so we know he did these things perfectly. And the scriptures tell you and I this morning, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. As you climb and go up and down this mountain of life, don't look at me as your example, please. Don't look to the church as your example, please. We're all broken together in this. Somebody say amen. As you're traversing up and down this mountainside of life, and as us men are in places of leadership with those that are behind us that we know are there, and even some that perhaps that we don't know are there, let us look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. This is for us men. Let us bear this responsibility, keeping our eyes upon Jesus, that we might, like Paul, someday, remember when Paul said, I've finished the race. I've run this marathon. Guys, we're running it. Let us continue. Somebody say amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we go into a time now of quietness in our hearts, as we simply be still as a church, let us be still and know that you're God. Let us be still and as men, let us consider those that are tied behind us. As leaders of homes and churches, let us, let us consider the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us consider the Jesus that we're looking to as our encouragement 
and as our example that we someday like Paul can say I've run this race I have fought the fight I have finished this race let these be the things that our hearts consider as we take this time now to reflect to worship to pray to repent to love you to worship you we pray all this in Jesus name we are going to take a time of reflection. So now is the time to be quiet before the Lord as we let what God's Word says sink into our hearts and be fed this morning. And at an appropriate time, they will have you all join them in standing at an appropriate time once we've had some, just a few moments to reflect. And then we'll worship together. Let's take some time.